Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Please do have a seat and find a Bible, please, and take it up. We're going to turn to the book of 2 Samuel in the Old Testament, page 254 in the Black Bibles in front of you on the windowsill, page 254 for our reading this morning. Some of you will remember we did 1 Samuel. We worked our way through that a few years ago and returning to the story today, this morning, for a new series Second Samuel chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 then. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag, and on the third day, behold, the third day, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head, And when he came to David, he fell to the ground and he paid homage. David said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, how did it go? Tell me. Two days without news. Hard to imagine in our day and age, isn't it? How quickly information travels. Two days not knowing what has happened. Tell me. And he answered, the people fled from the battle and also many of the people have fallen and are dead and Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. Then David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? The young man who told him said, by chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa and there was Saul leaning on his spear and behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. When he looked behind him, he saw me and he called to me and I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, stand beside me and kill me for anguish has seized me and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm and I have brought them here to my Lord. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them and so did all the men who were with him and they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who told him, where do you come from? And he answered, I am the son of a sojourner and a Malachite. David said to him, how is it you were not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, go execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, your blood be on your head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, this morning what we do not have 
we ask you to give. What we do not know, we ask you to teach. What we cannot see, we ask you to show. What we cannot feel, we ask you, in your mercy, to soften our hearts and grant to us. Give us sight of you, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, friends, I learnt a new thing this week, a lovely new thing. And some of you are going to smile when I tell you this, because you've known this since you were, I don't know, age three, something like that. Uh, I've been reading this lovely book called Reality and Other Stories, Exploring the Life We Long For Through the Tales That We Tell. And here's what I learned this week. I learned that in the first 15 minutes of most musicals, a particular type of song is performed. Did you know that? A particular type of song is nearly always performed in most musicals. Somebody called Howard Ashman from Disney describes it like this. He says, this song is when a leading character sits down and sings about what she wants in life. And from that moment onwards, the audience falls in love with her and then roots for her to get what she wants for the rest of the night. And immediately, of course, a light came on in my mind. It's, it's true, isn't it? These songs are so common that they have received their own title in the entertainment industry. Do you know what they're called? They're called I Want Songs. Frozen, remember, Anna? What's her I want song? She hopes that for the first time in forever, she might be noticed by someone. The Little Mermaid's Ariel wants freedom from the claustrophobic restrictions of King Triton's court. Aladdin longs to break free of his street rat stereotype. In Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton wants to achieve immortality by playing his part in winning American independence. And the list goes on. I thought of The Lion King, the the song, I just can't wait to be king. Here's what the book says. I want songs are powerful because we resonate with them. We know what it feels like to yearn intensely for something that we hope will bring about the life for which we long. We know what it feels like to yearn intensely for something that we hope is going to give us the life for which we long. Now you will know, friends, with your Bible open this morning, that the books of Samuel, First and Second Samuel, probably originally just one book, and you will know, because you know First Samuel, I know you know this, you knew we were doing Second Samuel, so all week long you've been reading First Samuel, You've been searching the sermon archives for the first first Samuel sermons, working your way through them, and finally you've finished, you've made it here today. First Samuel, fresh in your minds. You will know that these books tell an I want story, don't they? These books actually open with an I want song. Do you remember? Well, actually it's a prayer. It's an I want prayer, but it's often called a song. Hannah's song, Hannah's prayer. Just turn back, please, to the start of this book, 1 Samuel, in your Bibles, page 226. Page 226, here is Hannah. 
Singing, singing a prayer that is full of rejoicing. You see it, chapter 2, verse 1. My heart exults in the Lord and my horn is exalted in the Lord. I rejoice in your salvation. That's why this prayer is often called a song. And here is what she wants. Look at verse 9. The Lord will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. See, it hasn't happened yet. She's praying that this will happen. I want this to happen, Lord. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. See what she wants? Lord, I want you to protect your people and to save the king. I want your faithful ones to be safe and I want your enemies to be judged and I want the king and his strength to be lifted up. It's a beautiful idea, isn't it, that stories open with an intense yearning for something that we hope will bring about the life that we long for. As I thought about this, I realized the Bible opens, doesn't it, with an I want song. Do you remember Adam? What does he sing? This, as he looks at Eve, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. What's he singing? I want to marry you. Luke's gospel, do you remember? Opens with Mary's Magnificat, the song of delight that Israel's great longing that God would remember mercy and bring down the mighty from their thrones and lift up the poor And Mary is singing because it all seems to be coming true. It's what she wants. Many of you will know that Mary's song in Luke's gospel is simply a cover version of Hannah's song. She uses exactly words from Hannah's prayer. Help your people Israel, O God my Savior. And so we're coming today, this morning, to this story Afresh, And we're picking up this story partway through, aren't we? We've got this division between 1st and 2nd Samuel. And I want to encourage you this morning to read this book like a story. Maybe the Bible's new to you. You're not used to reading uh, the Bible at all in any way. Start here with this with us today. Start with a story. I want to set this story today, this amazing narrative, on as grand a stage as possible. I want you to imagine being in the theatre and seeing this story in front of you. And as the curtain comes up in 2 Samuel chapter 1 verse 1, the set on the stage that you're looking at is ancient Israel. We're about 1,000 years here before the coming of Christ. 1,000 years. And as the curtain comes up, friends, look at the opening verses again. As the curtain comes up, What do you see? You notice dead bodies on the ground all around. It'd be an amazing way to open a play, wouldn't it? Immediately something has happened. What what has happened? As Saul and Jonathan lie dead, in the north of Israel there are dead bodies on the ground. But David had returned from striking down the amount. There are dead bodies on the ground in the south, in this place called Ziklag. That's the stage that you're looking at. But the story, friends, the story is this. 
God, save your king and save your people through your king. That's the life that is being longed for here. Save the king. Save your people through the king. I want to give us this morning, as we begin, I want to give us three features of this story. Three features of what we're going to see together in the coming months. Here they are. Number one, Second Samuel is a story about the world we live in. Number two, Second Samuel is a story about the world that we want. And number three, it is a story about the world that God is rescuing. This is a story about the world you and I live in. This is a story about the world that we want to live in. And this is a story about the world that God is actually giving to us, that he is actually redeeming and actually rescuing. And friends, if you can believe it, all three of those points this morning come from verse 1. And the opening words of verse 2. Now, I don't know how that leaves you thinking, hang on, we're starting, you flick to the end, you've seen how many chapters... And we're going to do one sermon on one verse. We're going to be here forever, aren't we? That's what you're thinking. I don't know if you remember the, the first Samuel sermon series. It was called Longing for a Leader. And many of you know that my own family and their tremendous support and encouragement for me, my own family renamed that sermon series Longing for a Leader. They renamed it Longing for a Breather. <laughs> and every week it was, have we found that leader yet, Dad? And I said, no, still looking for him, still coming. And here we are again at the start of another long chapter. But I think we can stay friends as we look at it together. We've done Isaiah together. We've done Revelation. You're still here. This is a wonderful story for us to look at. Let me show you the first one. Point number one. This is a story about the world we live in. Friends, just think about it with me. What was Hannah's prayer? I want a leader. I want someone to save us. Remember what she prayed? The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And so friends, what happens in every good story after you have the I want song? What happens in every good story? Somewhere in the plot line there is tragedy. God save the king, save your king. And Second Samuel opens with, after the death of Saul. Really? The king. God save your king. The king is dead. The king is dead. Do you remember two men walking down a road together? Crestfallen men, they are heartbroken, they are devastated beyond words. And these two men are walking down a road together and a stranger joins them and sees them talking. What what are you two talking about, the stranger says to them. Haven't you heard, the two men say to the stranger, Jesus of Nazareth, a, a mighty prophet, mighty in word and deed. Haven't you heard, he was executed. He's just been killed. Do you remember the story, Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, two men on the road to Emmaus, and the risen Lord Jesus joins them, and they don't, they don't recognize that it's him. What are you talking about, he says, and they say to him, Jesus has died, he was condemned to death, they say. And then they say this, we had hoped 
that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the rescuer. We we pinned everything on him. Our nation's hopes and dreams, we we took them and rested them on this man's Jesus' shoulders. And now he's dead. He's gone. I I was thinking about it this week. I wonder if you'd agree with me. I I think failed rescue is worse than no rescue, isn't it? So you imagine you're stuck somewhere in a prison cell, held captive, you're held hostage by an enemy power, but then you hear the helicopters overhead. There there are films like this, aren't there, where special forces are trapped somewhere, one is left, the, the, the helicopters are overhead, you see the special forces on the way, only to see them all wiped out. The helicopter crashes, the soldiers die before they land. That's worse, isn't it? Oh, that's agony to have been so close to being rescued, so near and yet so far, to have hoped to be redeemed, to be rescued, and to see it fail is agony. Second Samuel has five words at the very start, about which on hearing them, the people of the Lord and the house of Israel could well have said, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Oh, we, we hoped Saul was the one. Oh, friends, make no mistake, here in the books of Samuel, that hope in Saul was always misplaced. It was wrong from the get-go. It was wrong from the very start. Saul as king was because the people had rejected God as king. We don't want you, God, we want a man instead. They asked for Saul, not because they wanted to trust God, but because they wanted to be like all the other nations. I I know we've got you, God, but we don't have a king. We don't have someone on a throne. We don't have a capital city. We, We want the security that the leaders of other nations seem to provide. You can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And yet, friends, misplaced, mistaken though it was, Saul was the king God gave them. He was the Lord's anointed. And now he's dead. This is the world we live in. This is the world we live in, is it not? Our our human leaders, good and bad, the leaders that our own sin and selfishness deserves, like Saul, Or the leaders whom we love and depend on and thank God for every single day of our lives. Those leaders come and go. They rise. They fall. We need simply to pause here at the opening of this story this morning and to recognize that Saul's death is a terrible tragedy. All death is terrible, of course. But the death of the Lord's anointed king, the the one in whom God's people had put their hope, is always a gut-wrenching sorrow for God's people. Just look at the grief of David. We're going to come to this in a couple of weeks. Verses 17 and 18 and 19. Put, Put your eyes on those verses. Saul, who had tried to kill David... Saul who had had David exiled, Saul who get Saul who got so much wrong, and yet Saul whom David loved. David lamented with this lamentation over Saul 
and Jonathan and his son, and he said it should be taught to the people. Verse 19, your glory, O Israel, your king, your glory is lying dead in the high places. How the mighty has fallen. Brothers and sisters, we are going to see this again and again in this book. This is the world we live in. And when a leader whom God has put in charge of his people is gone, here's the question. Does the story fall to the ground? Does the story end? Those five words that open Second Samuel, do you know they are there again and again in the Bible? What are the first five words of the book of Joshua? After the death of Moses... What What's going to happen now? We don't have Moses anymore. What are the first five words of the book of Judges? After the death of Joshua. What's going to happen now, Lord? Friends, what happens when the mighty have fallen? The mighty with their faults and their failings and, and their God-given gifts. And place in leading God's people. What happens now? Some of you feel this. Some of you have lived through this. You know this personally, don't you? Your very experience of life and the stage that you've reached. And the people that have led you that have now left you. And you're thinking, Lord, is, is this it? Church history knows this. When John Calvin, the great... Genevan reformer lay dying. One of his biographers says, when he lay dying, his friends gathered round his bed, distraught with grief, for there would be none other like him. What will we do now? B.B. Warfield was a great theologian of Princeton Seminary in the United States. Princeton Seminary, a college that at one time training gospel ministers did incalculable good for the gospel. If you're reading anybody today who you're benefiting from, any Christian thinker reader, it is probably because of what happened in Princeton Seminary years ago, what they gave to the world. Warfield, the great theologian, was known as the Lion of Princeton. And Gresham Machen said at at Warfield's funeral, when they carried him out of the chapel, old Princeton went with him. It's over, Machen said, he's gone. Oh friends, I I want a world where the giant leaders that we have don't leave us. Where the flawed leaders that we have get time to repent and to be restored to the Lord. Where wounded healers find life-giving healing. But here is a story about the world we live in. And so I think we can say that God is going to say, he's going to say this to us through the pages of this story and God willing through these sermons. I think he's going to say this. Here is my sharp scalpel. Here is my painfully merciful dividing fork to help you, my people, detach yourselves from seeing the triumph of my story as dependent on the leaders I send to you. It's a a beautiful thing to see. It's a painful thing to see. 
But let me say it again. God is saying here, I want you, my people, to detach yourselves from seeing the triumph of my story as being in any way dependent on the leaders that I send you. It is not dependent on them. This is the story of how God wants us to detach ourselves from our leaders. If we ever think the success of the kingdom depends on them. If we ever think God's promises will stand or fall with them. No, they won't. God is saying in five words, Oh, you rejected me for Saul, and now Saul is gone. And what is God doing? Holding out his hands. Will you walk with me again? It's very real, isn't it? Those five words that begin the book. Who who would you want to... Who would you want to transpose it to after the death of Martin Lloyd-Jones? After the death of William Still? John Stott? J.I. Packer? Oh, this is the world we live in. Yes, but it is not the end of the story. No, it is never. Number two. This is not just a story of the world we live in. This is a story of the world we all want. This is a story of the world we all want. Do you see how verse 1 works? After the death of Saul, the king is dead. What comes next? When David had returned from striking down the Amalekites. Long live the king. Oh, the king is dead. Long live the king. Not, not yes, of, not yet, of course. It's going to take several chapters to show us that, but see what the writer is hinting at? The king is dead. Long live the king. See, from, in the, in the book of 1 Samuel, from chapter 15 onwards, there have been two kings on the stage. Saul, the anointed king of Israel, and David, the king in waiting. They've both been on the stage, side by side. And now act three, Saul is dead. And David will soon be king. Here is the theology of verse one, friends. If you want to put verse one, what what looks like bland historical narrative, if you want to put it in theological terms, verse one is this. It is Hannah's I want. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth for he will give strength to the king. Friends, this is the world we all want, isn't it? I do, I want this. This is a world where God's king wins and wins decisively and God's enemies lose. It's a world where justice reigns. Oh, justice. Sweet, sweet justice. You know, in the the past several months, I've got to know a Christian lawyer in another part of the world on uh, through social media. And this Christian lawyer has written a book that's coming out next year. The book is called Reforming Criminal Justice, A Christian Proposal. And what, what happens if you follow this lawyer on social media? Or, or pretty much all he does is he just posts story after story after story of the most grievous miscarriages of justice that have ever been seen in his part of the world in the United States. In prison for 25 years, innocent, 45 years, proven to be innocent, on death row, executed, innocent. 
Oh, we need justice, don't we? When David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, the the Amalekites have been a a thorn in in Saul's side from chapter 14 onwards of 1 Samuel. They were a constant thorn in, 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 in his side because they were a thorn in the side of God's people from the very, very beginning. They were the first human threat to God's people after the Exodus. The, the Amalekites are like, like public enemy number one. They're like the old enemy. God has enemies. And his people have enemies. And so God's people, he, here is what God's people want. Isn't it true? Here is what they sing for and pray for. What, what Hannah prays for and what Mary sings for. What we sing for. The world we want is one where a good and righteous king executes a good and righteous judgment so that justice is served. And so that enemies like this are vanquished and peace is restored and shalom, perfect harmony between you and me, between us and God is restored throughout the earth. Isn't that what we want? Oh, it is the world we want. I clicked on the news on Friday as I was writing the sermon. A second man is arrested on suspicion of murder after the shooting of nine-year-old Olivia Pratt Corbell in Liverpool. I sat with a good friend on Friday, talking together, and because of cascading sorrow upon sorrow, my friend feels almost lost in darkness. Almost crushed by it, overwhelmed by it. This person wants sometimes oblivion simply to hide them. Because sin and death and dying is in their life. And dying, not even dying just at once in a moment, but dying slowly, dying degeneratively over time. This person is witnessing it up close and personal. That kind of dying has entered the world we live in. Isn't it true? How the mighty have fallen. You can see it with your own eyes. You can feel it in your own heart. You've brought it with you this morning. I know some of us have. You've brought it with you. An injustice that has been done to you. A wound. Maybe several wounds. Maybe worst of all wounds that have come to you from the hands of God's people. Your daily battle is to not nurse that wound into a bitter grievance. Oh, we long for justice. Oh, in this world, sin remains and death remains the last enemy, doesn't it? Death is the last enemy. But here is David striking down God's enemies, removing them, blighting them, blighting them from the earth. It is the world we want. What do we... What are we feeling this morning? How long, O Lord? Come, Lord Jesus. This is a story as we read it in these coming weeks to savour the world we want. We're going to see what a king David is. What a king, a man after God's heart, humble, holy, the, the shepherd that sheep follow because he himself follows the great shepherd. Don't you want that in a leader, a king? Wouldn't you like to be David's subject, live in his kingdom? Don't you want to be in his world? Just take your Bible and just scan forward. I think you begin to see. Just look at the headings 
You, you, you can do this, trying to get the feeling for the story. Look at First Samuel chapter 5, 2 Samuel chapter 5. Just flick forward, let the pages rustle as we do it together. Second Samuel chapter 5, David anointed king of Israel. Look at the next heading, David defeats the Philistines, the ark brought to Jerusalem. Chapter 7, the Lord's covenant with David. David's prayer of gratitude. Look at chapter 8, David's victories. David's kindness to Mephibosheth. Look at chapter 10, David defeats Ammon and Syria. Ah, chapter 11, David and Bathsheba. It all comes crashing down. The world we want. And look, God is saying to us, have you learnt it yet? Have you learnt, even with David, to detach yourself from the leaders I give you if you are looking to them for the success of the story? Oh, they will fail you or leave you or disappoint you or bereave you. And then who will you have? Where do you turn? I want to finish with this, number three, our third point. Friends, this is a story about the world that God is rescuing. This is a story about the world that God is rescuing. I want you to, to put your eyes on verses one and two again. And as you read them, let's do this now with our, imagine with, with the, our eyes on the whole Bible story that might be unfolding here. What kind of pattern in the Bible might these words be pointing to? After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag, and on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp. Two days in Ziklag, and on the third day. Did you know, friends, that through the Old Testament, the third day is rarely just the third day? No, in the Old Testament, the third day becomes tied bit by bit, story by story, to being the day of new life, the day of seismic change in the world and in the story. I wonder if you know that the Apostle Paul says that Jesus' resurrection on the third day, do you know what he says? His resurrection on the third day was in accordance with the Scriptures. And yet, if you go back to the Old Testament scriptures, there is no outright prophecy that on the third day the Messiah would be raised from the dead. It's not a, it's not a predictive prophecy. You, you can't easily point to an explicit chapter and verse in the Old Testament, but what you can point to all the way through the Old Testament are tremors reverberations on the stage. You can hear the refrain of the story being sung in the background that there are often two days of bleakness when the future is uncertain and on the third day the next major event takes place. On the third day new life begins to emerge. And so listen to this. When the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Here's what somebody says. It is not unreasonable to suggest that the two days between the death of Saul and the emergence of David on the third day was a pointer to that pattern. 
Here's the question. Why should you believe that God raised his king to life on the third day? Why should you believe that the tomb is empty? Answer. Because God has been doing that sort of thing all the way through the Bible. Two days of death and despair and darkness and grief. And on the third day, the third day, the king emerges. Brothers and sisters, the story of David is part of the bigger story. That God is rescuing this world and rescuing it with the resurrection of the king. Oh, the new life in verse 2 that David enters into here on the third day was just a picture, wasn't it? Just part of the pattern because David soon too is going to show himself as part of the problem. But the pattern will remain that on the third day, God brings new life with his king. These tremors here are going to get more forceful and the hope of resurrection and new life will just get stronger and stronger and louder and louder. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the one to rescue us and rescue the world in which we live. We thought he was the climax of the story, the point of it all, the one to save us all and fix it all. We thought God was rescuing the world and he's dead. Do you know, do you know what the very next words in Luke's Gospel 24 are? That story in the Emmaus Road. Do you know what they say next? We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides this, it is now the third day since all these things happened. Oh, wonder of wonders, they are telling that story to the risen Lord Jesus himself. To the king who after two days in darkness emerged victorious. In the world we all live in, to bring about the world we all want and to be God's ever living, never dying king. Some of you know the words of Andrew Peterson's song. He rises glorified in flesh, clothed in immortality, the firstborn from the dead. He rises and his work is already done. So he's resting as he rises to reclaim the bride he's won. Oh, that is what David is doing here. On the third day, he is entering into full command. On the third day, God gives strength to his king, our Lord Jesus. This is the world he is rescuing. It is these mortal bodies that he is saving. And one day the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Let me tell you about this story and then uh, with that we're finished. Chad Bird is a pastor, theologian in the United States. And just a few weeks ago his 21-year-old son Luke A midshipman in the U.S. Navy died. He died in a hiking accident in Chile. He was laid to rest just a week ago. Let me finish with this. Here is what his father said about his son's burial. Our Christian cemeteries are sacred fields in which we sow the bodies of our loved ones. The church is a farmer 
We do not sow wheat or barley or corn. We plant bodies in the earth. And like all farmers, we wait for the harvest. When it will come, we do not know. But come it shall. This year, next year, a thousand years hence, who knows? Only the Lord of the harvest knows. On that day, like champagne corks, gravestones will pop from the earth. The soil will split. Coffins will burst open. Luke's grave will have reached its expiration date. As with all our graves, wherever they may be, the trumpet will sound. Jesus will descend and with upraised arms of victory, full-throated shouts of hallelujah and bodies Radiant with the immortal life of the resurrected Jesus, we shall stand an innumerable company of the redeemed. Oh, God's King, in God's world, rescuing and redeeming it. Wonder of wonders. Amen.